This is week five uh, of a series where we've just sort of recovering and recapturing uh, and really sort of refining what the mission of this church is. And today is going to be the last sermon in that series where we're talking about what the mission statement of this church is. What's the purpose of this church? And so I hope, I hope in five weeks you've kind of captured this this very short statement, right? It's on the wall. Equipping people for kingdom release. Like, this is what we're about. This is what we're trying to do. That's what we are. That's what we're here for. And I hope that you've kind of got that. And, and, and what I want to remind you of is that what we mean when we say equipping people for kingdom release, we're saying we want to equip people to live a life in such a way that God gets his way wherever they go. Does that make sense? That the kingdom of God is where God gets his way. And so if we do our job well, wherever you go, God gets his way. And that, that's, you know, some of that is just how you conduct your life. But some of that is like this idea of healing and of, of deliverance and of salvation. That, that where you go, you would leave in your wake healed people. You would leave in your wake delivered people. You would leave in your wake people who have come to know Jesus that something about the way that we live our lives would reflect what it would look like if God gets his way, right? Anybody think God's already completely getting his way? Anybody confused about that? Okay, good. That's a whole different message. Um, and so two weeks ago, we ta I talked about doing this where you live what it looks like to release the kingdom where you live. And last week, Jerry talked about uh, releasing the kingdom where you work. And between these two places, this makes up the bulk of where you spend your time. Between where you live and where you work, or where you live and where you go to school, this makes up the bulk of where you spend your life, right? That we spend a whole lot of time in those places. And so this is sort of the, the, the place that it normally happens. But today... I kind of want to move on a little bit and say, what does this look like to have this kind of thing happen at Walmart? What does this look like when you go to the mall? What does it look like to release the kingdom when you're at the grocery store holding a pineapple? I mean, that can happen. What does it look like to release the kingdom where you play? What does it look like to release the kingdom at Del Grosso's, although it's closed now for the year? It'll be open next year. We'll have the season pass. We'll go four times. It's about 54 times less than Pete Harry goes. But what does it look like to be kingdom people where we live our lives? Wherever God happens to place us, that this is not like we show up here, and I hope you've kind of gotten that. If you spend any amount of time here, I hope what you've gotten is that yes, we hope the kingdom is released in this place, but we hope that our lives are marked by that, right? Like, that's the hope. I don't know if you've ever, like, been around people, or maybe you are people like this. Have you ever been around people who do this everywhere they go? Like, that take this super seriously. I remember the first time I was around somebody that, like, we were, we were like, just at a restaurant, and they were, like, acting like God was going to do something at this restaurant. And I just looked at them. I was like, don't you know God only exists on Sunday? It was my thought. I was like, this is weird. Like, we don't pray here. You pray at church. We don't, yeah, this is supposed to be a private thing, right? It was weird to me that there were people who would walk around and act like God was going to do something in their real lives. 
That was weird to me. And I, I, I mean, I remember, uh, actually, Jerry and Gerald's dad gave me a video. Do you remember the, was the Finger of God video? <laughs> I like that response. That's appropriate. Have you, has anybody ever seen that movie, Finger of God? A handful of you have seen it. I had a super hard time for about the first 20 minutes, just full disclosure. So if you watch that movie, the first 20 minutes, I was just like, come on. I don't believe that. Guy with jewels in his pocket. I mean, really? This guy got gold teeth. I don't know about all that. But then they started like following these guys and they're like praying for people everywhere they go. And people are just getting healed. Guys on crutches can't put his foot down and now he's walking. And I was like, whoa, these people like live this in real life and it actually happens. It's like Jesus is real. And one of the guys that I, I really appreciate who lives his life this way, and I showed a video from him, was a guy named Brian Blount. Anybody know who that is? Brian Blount, he does, has a website. He's changed the name of his website. He's, uh, it used to be called Kingdom Encounters, and now it's called uh, Demonstrating Jesus or something like that. Jesus wherever you go or something like that. But he lives his life in such a way that like, he'll go through the drive-thru, and while he's waiting on his food, he'll say to the person in the window, like, hey, do you have pain in your lower back? I really feel like God wants to heal pain. Oh, I do, and pray for these people through the drive-thru window. Or he prays for his Uber driver. Or he's on, he's on hold with any one of the horrible cell phone providers. He's on hold with customer service and says, really felt like God was giving me a picture of that you had this thing happening, or your neck, or your pain in your shoulder, or whatever. And prays for people through the phone. And then they get healed, and his sort of the thing he does to sort of put Jesus on display. That's what it's called, putting Jesus on display. I forgot. Uh, what he does then is he goes, hey, would you mind just shooting a video for me, like with me telling people what happened? And so he like, he'll like put his arm around his Uber driver and do this thing. And what happened? Well, I had this pain. And then we prayed and what happened? And then I felt like this and this and this and this. And, and people just getting healed, people giving their lives to Jesus. And I, and I really feel like, this is supposed to not be unusual. That people who follow Jesus, this ought to just be what happens, right? Like if we follow Jesus, what ought to happen is that sick people get well, that wounded people get whole, that bound up people get set free, that lost people get saved, that wholeness is what marks our presence, right? Like if we carry the presence of the living God, what should happen in our wake, is that people should be changed, right? Wouldn't that be what you would hope? That something about the following of Jesus would make your life look different. It would make everyone around you look different. And so what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about what it means to be the kind of person that leaves a wake of the kingdom behind them. I want to talk about that today. What does it look like to release the kingdom wherever God places you? And so we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 8. If you've got a Bible, you can flip it there. If you don't, I mean, I think you know we've got Bibles up here. If you don't have one at home, feel free to take one. Um, it will be our gift to you. If you need one, throw your hand up. I'll just throw one at you. To you. Not at you. I'll throw one to you. Here you go. Acts chapter 8, I'll give you a second to get there. On my Bible, it's page 999. Have you seen like, if you, I mean for the 
you ever look in the Bible and you're like, wow, on some of these Bibles, it's the same page. It's not always true. It doesn't always work out that way. Verse 26 is where we're going to start. So Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. And here's what we read. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and say, stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? He asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture this, uh, the eunuch was reading. He was like a sheep to the slaughter. I'm sorry, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now, it's a very interesting encounter, right? Because at the very beginning of this, an angel tells Philip, hey, go down to this road. He sees this chariot going by and the, the Spirit of the Lord says, go stand by that chariot. And there's this sort of like, I don't know about you, but you listen to that and you go, what did that sound like? What did it sound like for God to say by the Holy Spirit or by an angel? What does that sound like? What's that like to say, go down to that road? Go stand by that chariot. I'm sort of like, what, what's that like? And so he does, what, he does what, uh, what the Spirit of the Lord says, and he finds this guy. And when he finds this guy, the, the guy happens, just happens to be reading the Bible. I mean, that's kind of cool, right? He just happens to be reading the Bible, and, and he invites him up into his chariot to explain the book of Isaiah. And with that, he leads the man to Jesus and then baptizes him. It's a really, really cool story, but there's something about this story that's marked by hearing God's voice and doing what he says, right? Like this is the thing that we always talk about, that the essence of the Christian life is hearing the voice of God and developing the courage to do what he says, that we would be people who, who listen to God's voice. We listen everywhere we go for God's voice. I mean, that's what it is to be a Christian. You can do a lot of religious stuff. Right? We can do a lot of religious ritual, but the essence of this is to hear God's voice and respond with obedience. Now what I want to do is I want to take just a second and I want to look. There's this guy named Philip here. And, and, and I don't know if you guys ever pay attention to like who people are. Like Sometimes you know Jesus, everybody's like, well, I know which one that is. Uh, Paul, 
That's the guy that used to be named Saul, right? But then we hear this, like, this story kind of centers around this guy, Philip. Now, you could just gloss over this and go, yeah, whatever, some guy named Philip. But I think it matters. There's something significant if we understand who Philip is. There's something that we learn about what it is to live a life following Jesus. Now, in Scripture, if you look back into the Gospels, you see a Philip. There's an apostle named Philip. This guy named Philip who follows Jesus for three years and gets sent out, right? He's a disciple and then he's an apostle. And and so there's this apostle named Philip. And yet the man in this account is not the apostle Philip. That's significant. So who is this guy? If you go back two chapters to Acts 6, you see this time where where the the amount of of people who are following Jesus, uh, the the church in Jerusalem is full of of widows, and the church says, hey, you know it would be a really good idea if we actually like fed widows? I mean, hey, that sounds like Jesus, right? Let's feed hungry widows who who can't fend for themselves. And so they come up with this problem as some of like the the native-born Jewish women uh, are, are being served, but the, the Greek women are not. And so they come to the apostles and they're like, hey, we got to fix this problem. Some people are getting overlooked here. And the apostles stop and they say, hey, it would be kind of irresponsible for us to give up on preaching the word. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to find seven men who are full of the spirit and full of wisdom, and we're going to bless them to run the food pantry, right? Right? And so if you read through Acts 6, there's all these names. One of the names that we see is this guy, Philip, who is full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And what they do is they lay hands on these guys and they say, God bless you to run the food pantry. That's not the most glamorous service, is it? It's like your job is to dole out the soup. You just, you get the ladle. We just laid hands on you. You're full of the Spirit. You're full of wisdom. Your job is to get the bowl, turn it over, dish out the, the soup. This is your job. God bless you. You're sent. Go do that. It's not a glamorous job, right? I hope that's what you see, that this is not exactly a, a glamorous job. And yet, this man, Philip, does this job faithfully. And here's the point. As soon as persecution, by chapter 8, persecution happens in the church in Jerusalem, and everybody except for the apostles scatters. If you read from 6 to 8, 6, 7, and 8, what you see is Stephen gets killed. They just kill him, you know, brutally. He, he tells a nice little story before they do about how Jesus is the Messiah. Everybody scatters. Philip, like everybody else, goes on the run. But because he's been faithful, he tells everyone the story of his salvation. He shares Jesus with everyone everywhere he goes. Just an average dude full of the Holy Spirit. He shares Jesus with everyone everywhere he goes. That says that he preached the word wherever he went. And you see this story of Philip releasing the kingdom everywhere he goes. Now, Philip is an ordinary guy. And here's the point. Here's what I want you to get. God uses faithful people to release the kingdom of God. He uses faithful people. Later on, this Philip gets known as Philip the Evangelist. It's not a title he made for himself. 
it wasn't like he was like, all right, I got my career in line now. Got blessed by the apostles. I'm going to go be the evangelist. I'm going to go do... He was run out of town by, for fear of his life. For fear of his life. And everywhere he went, God blessed his sharing of the gospel. It's quite possible. I read some accounts that would say, Philip the evangelist never knew he was called Philip the evangelist. That the people who wrote the story were like, dealing with what we're dealing with right here, right? Which Philip are we talking about? Are we talking about the apostle? No, not the apostle. We're talking about the guy who was on the run in fear of his life and shared the gospel everywhere he went. It's kind of like an evangelist. Call him Philip the evangelist. That there's a real sense in which he didn't even know he was Philip the evangelist. He was just some guy, a faithful guy. Philip didn't leave on an evangelistic crusade full of himself. He left for fear of his life. He didn't graduate from Jerusalem Seminary and get his, his PhD and, and do his dissertation and, and then go on his, on his merry way. He was just faithful. And when put on the run, he did what a spirit-filled person would do. He just shared Jesus everywhere he went. If you read through chapter 8, like before we get to what we just read, if you read through chapter 8, he like heals the sick, he casts out demons. He's like just everywhere he goes. In fact, I think it's, it's right before that where, where this guy gets jealous. Yeah, Simon the sorcerer sees him doing it. He's like, hey, how do I do this? This is a pretty cool party trick. How do I do this? You show me how to do this. And he's like, what are you talking about? This is what it, this is what it looks like to be a spirit-filled person, a faithful spirit-filled person. He lived out, he shared the only hope he had in his life, Jesus. Friends, the name of the game here is faithful obedience. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. It's faithful obedience. And we live at a unique time in Christian history. We live at a time in Christian history where you can get famous for doing Christian things. You know that? Like, if you go to the, the, the bookstore and you go to the Christian section, if you're a good writer, you can get famous for being a Christian author, right? Just write a really good devotional, right? You can get famous for being a Christian author. If you're a dynamic speaker, which I don't know anything about that, but if you are, if you're a dynamic speaker, you can get famous as a Christian preacher, right? You, you can get on a pod, I mean, everybody can make a podcast, Right? That's why we have one, because anybody can do it. Everybody can make a podcast. You can get famous for being a preacher. You can get, if you live into your authority as someone who prays for the sick and casts out demons, it should not, that should not be unusual, but it is. If you just do that, if you just share the word of the Lord for people, if you just pray for everybody who's sick, you can get famous as a healer or a prophet, People are so attracted by that stuff. If you're a great musician, if you're gifted, you can get famous as a worship leader. And in a culture that celebrates fame, in a culture that celebrates self-promotion, these things become church goals for so many people. I've given my life to Jesus. How do I get famous now? I think anybody who finds their way into any sort of prominent Christian service has to fight that at all. It's something that I've had to battle. It's something that I've watched so many people battle. You find out that there's something that you're gifted in, and the tendency is to think you're some big shot. That's the way it works in the world. 
You know what I've never, ever, ever seen somebody strive for? Never once. I've never seen somebody come to Jesus and go, you know what I want my aim of my life to be? Humble service. You got, I mean, you laugh, right? Because you've never seen it either. We don't see people give their lives to Jesus and go, you know what, if I could just live the rest of my life as a humble servant, that would be success. That's not what we see in our culture. Nobody's going to celebrate you like on the, the way down, right? Nobody celebrates the fact that you get on the floor and wash people's feet. Nobody celebrates the fact that you mop up the water that comes out of the water fountain all over the floor. Tyler knows exactly what I'm talking about. Nobody celebrates that stuff, right? And in, the, in Christian history, we live at a very unique time. I've met very few people that have ever expressed to me their desire to grow in humble service. Everybody says, I want to be a servant while I... And I just say this because that's me too. I want everybody to know how great this church is. I think this church is awesome, right? I want everybody to know how great it is. And there's a small... Well, there's a part of me that I hope is shrinking that is like, and I want them to know how much it costs me to do this, right? Vanity and pride is such a scary thing because it sneaks up on you, it grabs you. And the problem is, is you don't really know when it's got you until it's wrestled you to the ground. It's a slippery slope that you don't know you're on until you're on the way down. In the world, the way you get a right to speak to people is by increasing your influence, right? I got to have more Facebook followers, got to have more Twitter followers. Does anybody use Twitter? Anybody use Twitter? Like three of you. Okay, cool. That's what I thought. Nobody uses Twitter here. <laughs> Maybe if we had a bigger Twitter following. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding but I got to increase my, my influence on Instagram, right? I got to become an influencer and I got I to increase my followers on Facebook and my friends on Facebook so that I can earn the right to speak to them about Jesus. And here's the problem when you do that. It's super hard to do that without compromising yourself on the way. Super hard to do that without selling yourself out at some level in order to gain a following. You have to get enough and... That's the way the world works, right? But in the kingdom of God, the way up is down. The way in the kingdom, greatness is measured by how much you serve. It's by how much you're a servant of other people. Mark 10, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The way up in the kingdom is down. Martin Luther King Jr. said, everyone can be great because everyone can serve. The way up is down. Here's what I've learned. If you seek a platform, there's no guarantee that you'll have the character necessary to be able to stand when you get one. It will crush you when you get that platform that you seek. If you focus your life on being a servant, you will have the character to stand on whatever platform God gives you. 
It's a character thing. I've seen a lot of people, man, chase platforms. I've been one of them. It'll crush you when you get it. But if you seek serving people, you'll always have the character to last. You'll always have that. In fact, actually, the most Holy Spirit powerful people I've ever met are people who have no need of a platform. They have no desire for one. If you've ever been prayed for somebody that is full of power, it's typically not the person that's standing on the platform. It's typically the person that nobody knows about. And they show up and they pray for you and you're not really expecting a whole lot and boom, God meets you and it's because of faithful, humble service. You want to be great? Be a humble servant. God uses faithful people, not famous people. God uses faithful people. That's the first thing. The second point I want to make today is that God is already at work around you. God is already at work everywhere you go. So many of us struggle to engage the world around us. And we're going to go pray for people. And like Justin was saying, I'm, I'm scared. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little like, because we have this belief that somehow I have to make something happen, Right? That's the thing you're afraid of. It's like, here, I'm going to go break into this really weird thing. I'm going to go, hey, I know we weren't talking about Jesus, but <laughs> since we weren't talking about it, let me bring it up. <laughs> right? It's sort of like that, that, that weird exchange you see on TV at the bar. It's like, hey. It's just like this weird... I, don't, I did, totally did not fill in that picture. It, never mind. <laughs> Like, what TV show is he talking about? That's okay. I'll ask me later. Um, but we think somehow we have to make things happen, right? Like, this is the fear, is that I'm going to go to Walmart, and I'm going to have a sense I should pray for somebody, and they're going to be like, get away from me, you religious weirdo, right? That's the fear that we have. It's because we don't know and we don't believe that God is already at work in the world around you. Consider what had to happen for Philip to lead this Ethiopian eunuch to Jesus. Consider what had to happen. The eunuch left Ethiopia, went on a weeks-long, some people say 1,500-mile trip in a chariot. I mean, you figure that out. In a chariot, 1,500-mile, weeks-long trip to Jerusalem to worship the God of the Jews. Why? Well, because Thousand, not thousands, hundreds of years later or earlier, the queen of Sheba went to Solomon, was impressed by the God of the Jews, went back. This was passed down, this idea, this understanding of who the God of the Jews is. For centuries, this guy goes to Jerusalem to worship because of that centuries-long process. He goes to the 1,500 miles, goes for a few weeks, shows up in Jerusalem, isn't allowed in the temple because he's a eunuch and a Gentile, so sorry for you. You get to hang out outside the temple. This is as close as you get. Turns around, heads back home on his weeks-long 1,500-mile journey, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says to, to Philip, go down to the road, go stand by that chariot. He happens to be reading the, a copy of Isaiah, at which, do you realize how insane it is that all the stuff that God had to put together before Philip shows up and just sees like, wow, this is a crazy opportunity. I get to share Jesus with this guy. Do you realize how much had to take place in this guy's life for Philip to climb up and go, 
well, let me tell you about Jesus. And this guy to come to know Jesus and get baptized. Do you realize how much stuff had to happen for that to take place? Most of our problem is that we don't understand that God is already at work. He's already doing stuff in this room. Just in this room. There are, there are some of you who are in a place where maybe you have never surrendered to Jesus before and you find yourself in this weird old school building in an auditorium that sounds terrible, but we put up some lights, so hey, that's, that's pretty good. And you're in this place that you would have never found yourself in a place where you can hear about Jesus. Do you realize that? That God is at work all over the place. That God is at work with the people in the Walmart aisles. That God is already up to stuff. And one of the things that I love about the vineyard is that we've sort of continued to say, hey, we only want to do what we see the Father doing. That we're not trying to make anything happen. We're just going, hey, God, where are you already at work? And he's like, oh, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you, that guy over there, really just he just needs somebody to come up and pray for him. That lady over there, she just lost her spouse. She's really hurting. She just needs somebody to put, her, put your arm around her. Hey, that person over there, they're really hungry. If you would just show up with some food, this person, like, God is so interested in inviting you into what he's already doing. You don't have to make it happen. It's not a beautiful thing. Like, I, I can't imagine how creative you would have to be to come up with what God is already doing. All you have to do is go, God, what are you doing? And he's like, somebody wants to do what I'm doing? Absolutely. I can't tell you how many times it's, it's where, where you go to pray for somebody and you say, hey, just, this is really weird and out of left field, but sometimes God tells me that people need prayer and I felt like he told me that you needed some prayer. And people go, really? He told you? I totally need some prayer. Would you pray for me? God's already at work. You don't have to make this happen. You don't have to manufacture anything. Our primary job in the kingdom is to join God on what he's already doing. That's it. It's that simple. Some of you probably want this to be harder. It really isn't. It's that simple. God, what are you doing? How do I join you in what you're doing? Friday night, some of you guys, some of, how many of you, you were there. How many of you went out praying for people in the, the treasure hunt? Definitely a couple of folks were up there. Was it, was it hard? Like all we did, all, I mean, I wasn't there because I was watching the kids, but Jerry was here. Like all you guys did, right? Like you just invited the Holy Spirit to speak about what he's already doing, right? Get a sense of what God is up to, write these things down, and then you go looking for those things. Jerry said you had a pretty cool story. You want to tell it? Sure. Here, I'll give you the So there's like a little bit of a backstory to it as well. Um, so this week, I took a personal day on Wednesday because I there's a video game I really like called Destiny. And um, this week was really important because like you have to power level and it takes a lot of time. And I was going to do this thing on Friday night with it. And, but then the church had this thing. And I was like, well, this is like way, this is way more important than, than this video game. So... Um, so 
I uh, I missed out on like the listening time because Kelly was putting the kids to bed, and I went. By the time I was able to join uh, Steph and Jerry, we were driving out to Walmart, and so um, we get there, and Steph and Jerry they they shared their list of things that they they had kind of gotten images for, and at, on my drive there, I um, I had gotten a sense from God that I was supposed to maybe buy something for somebody. So I'm like, all right, God, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. So we get out there, and let me just say, I'm a teacher, and there was like half of the district was there. And so like the first part of my evening wasn't even just like praying for people. It was going up and like catching up with, with, like, um, <clears throat> with like people that I work with. And as they were talking, I'm listening like, okay, God, like you, I was like, Are there any, is there anything that, that these, and like there wasn't. So then we continued on. And I just like was walking around Walmart and I was like continuing like to be open with God. I'm like, all right, God, like, like point someone out to me. And there was a gentleman uh, in a, uh, in a, like a motorized scooter and he was by the, the, the dairy aisle or um, the frozen food section. And I could tell that he needed something. I was like, hey, sir, do you want me to help you with something? Do you want me to get you something? He's like, yeah, sure. So I got that thing, but I'm like, God, is, like, what, is there anything here? Anything here? Nope. So we move on. And, uh, and then uh, there was a woman who had, uh, I could, she was like sniffling and she was, she was by herself. And I could tell like, like oh, hey, uh, do you have allergies? Yeah. Are they really bad at this time? Yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe like, I was like, maybe God wants me to buy her allergy medicine. I was like, do you have allergy medicine? She's like, oh, yeah, I got tons of allergy medicine. I'm like, okay, see you later. So, <laughs> so I, I kept walking. And then I ran into Jerry, and Jerry had a box of diapers. And um, Jerry had a box of diapers, and she was like, oh, God told me I was supposed to buy this. I was like, oh, I guess God's not the only, I'm not the only person God told, told to buy something for somebody tonight. So I walked straight back. In, in the main aisle on the right side of Walmart, the side that has um, McDonald's on it. And I get back there, and there's this guy. And he's, he looks to be a, about my age, and he had a, a, 10-month-old, uh, a 10-month-old boy. And I'm like, here's my in. So uh, I was like, oh, you know, what's, what's your kid's name? And he started telling me, and uh, I found out that the, the, the baby was born 29 weeks. And that's really, that's really early. Um, and I became kind of like emotionally charged by that. And I'm like, okay, God's like doing something with this. So like, we're going to keep ruling with it. Um, and so he, uh, he had a lot of tattoos and he had, uh, tattoos on his, both of his hands. I was like, I see you have crosses on your hands. Like, what do those mean? Like, why did you get that tattoo? Oh, well, a buddy of mine, when we were growing up, he built a tattoo gun and we, we did crosses on our hand. I'm like, okay, so like... <laughs> So the crosses like don't don't like have any sort of spiritual meaning for you. They was just like the cool thing to do at that time. I got you. All right. So I'm like, all right, God. Then we'll, you know what's next. And I was like, well, you know, I'm here with a group of people tonight. I'm just out praying for people. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And like very often, like people, they're they're very they're very protective. They don't they don't want prayer. They don't want anybody to know that anything's wrong with them. So they don't, they generally don't ask for prayer. Um, at least the people that I encounter. Um, so he said no, and I was like, well, can I just pray a blessing over, over your boy? And he is, the boy's name is Kinsley. I was like, can I pray a blessing over Kinsley? He's like, yeah, sure. So I, I just kind of like prayed, uh, you know, a blessing over this kid, and I was like, all right, man, like have a good night. And then I got like 10 steps away, 
And I don't, like, so I was told that I was supposed to, like, buy something for someone, right? Well, I have my wallet, and I almost never carry cash. Never carry cash. That's one of the reasons why I text to give, because I don't, I don't ever carry cash. I have nothing to put in the basket. So uh, um, the guy had some diapers and some wipes, and um, I was like, and I, I looked at my wallet, and I had a $20 bill, and I was like, okay, this is like, this is what God, this is like what God wanted me to do tonight. So I go back and I said, hey man, like God just, uh, he told me that I was supposed to do something or buy something for someone tonight. And after I got done talking to you, I realized it was you. So like, here's, here's this money. I just want you, it's, it's just for like the things in your cart. And he was like, oh man, you don't have to do that. I was like, it's, it's fine. Like, this is what I was told to do. So just here, have a good night. And then Derek's preached before, like, God does this thing, like, whenever you're obedient to him, he, he, gives, you, he gives you one of these. He gives, you, he gives you a pat on the back. And, like, that was, like, I, I felt so connected with God in this moment. And um, the reason I told you the Xbox thing was because I am so protective of my free time. I'm so protective. Of it. Like, when I, like, in the evenings, after the kids go to bed, like, that's my Xbox time. Like, I do Xbox before I go to bed. And, um... You know, that keeps me from sometimes, like, doing the things that, that God is calling me to do. And God was, like, he revealed to me that this was, like, this event, like, this thing that we did was so life-giving. It was a life, it was life-giving. It wasn't life-stealing. It was life-giving. And God was, like, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> you know, giving up this Friday night to do this thing, like, was, was that so bad? I'm, like, no, God, that was actually really good. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, I, I only, I only got to pray for one person this, this whole night that we went out and prayed for people. I only got to pray for, for one person, but it was like, like Derek is saying now, like God is like working in the background and this was the one person that I needed to go and pray for that night. And so it was just, it was, it was awesome. Like I was, it was what I needed. So, Amen. Awesome. God's already at work. He's already up to stuff. He's just looking for faithful people who will say yes. He's just looking for faithful people who will respond. That's it. That's the whole of the deal. This is what it looks like to release the kingdom wherever you go. Wherever God puts you. If you want a way to walk away with this with something to do, I want to walk away with this with something to do. When you go places, before you walk in, it's a challenge. If you do this, I promise you God will do something with it. Before you walk in, say, God, would you show me in this place somebody that you want me to talk to? I've never done that and not had it happen. Now, here's the thing. If you avail yourself to God... He takes you at your word and says, okay, you want to do this. I will love to have you do this. So if you avail yourself to God, that's what will happen. You will get plenty of opportunity. But what would it look like if we lived our lives that way? As we get out of the car to go in the grocery store, we say, God, if there's somebody in here you want me to talk to, would you show them to me? God, would you send me somebody? Like I prayed, last story, and then we'll wrap this up. I, I was on an airplane when I used to fly for the airlines. I sat down, and I had just started to hear about doing stuff like this, 
right? So it was all new to me, and I was sort of probably like a lot of you, is like, I don't believe that this is real. I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know that this is a thing. So I'm sitting on this airplane, and, uh, and so I just started, like, did that. I was like, all right, let's try this out. Let's try this out, right? It's like, it's like all right, God, would you tell me something about the person who's going to sit in this empty seat next to me? Would you just tell me something that I, like, some way that I can begin to talk to this person? And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, this is, I feel weird, because I am no sense of anything. And this girl comes walking down the center aisle, and I remember it, and, he, and, and I felt like God said, here comes Christine. She sits down next to me. And I'm sitting there going, this is impossible. <laughs> There's no way. So I'm sitting there, I'm just, hi, how you doing? You know, I'm like, I'm sitting there, I'm like, but I'm sitting like this whole time going, I think her name is Christine, but I have no way to know. <laughs> and this is going to be too weird. So I sat there like the whole flight, and I'm like trying, like agonizing. I mean, if you know me, I'm agonizing over this, like, I asked for it, and God did it, and I'm sitting here, and I'm like, how do you do this without looking like a stalker? What do I do with this? So, like, I'm sitting there, and I get halfway through the flight, and we're going to to Detroit, and she reaches down in her bag, and I'm like, somehow i got to, like, make this, like, the flight's almost over, and she opens up her ticket to see her connecting flight, and her name is Christine on the ticket, which is even weirder because now I have to go, hey, I saw on your ticket that your name, God, eh. I just want you to know, I did, here, so here's the big, the big reveal, right? Nothing happened. I was, I punked out. <laughs> like, I, I punked out. I was sitting here and I was like, there is no way that I can ask her if this is her name because I now, like, it just feels very stalkery because we've been sitting next to each other all this time. And so I didn't say anything. But here's the thing. I asked God to show me. And he said, here comes Christine. And then he allowed me to see that that was actually him speaking. If you do this, God will use you. If you avail yourself to him, he will use you. And this is what we're after, friends. We're after being the kind of people that everywhere we go, we're constantly in this. God, what are you doing? Don't you want to be the kind of person that God could go, go south to the road, the desert road, and you go, I don't, I know of one road. I, I mean, I guess I'll go there. I don't know, that's weird. Don't really know what you're going to do there. Don't you want to be that kind of person who follows Jesus that way? That he says something and he doesn't even give you like, I want like nine steps, right? Okay, God, I know you just told me to go here, but what are we going to do when we get there? Why don't you tell me that part and then I'll go. I'll decide whether or not this is good enough for me to go. Don't you want to be that kind of person? That God could say to you one little thing and you say, well, this is what I know, so this is where I'm going. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we're after.